Samantha Drudge is a change and experience curator. I found Samantha by searching for similar titles on LinkedIn. I started to see these roles popping up everywhere and I wanted to understand more about what's involved in that particular role and why more people holding these particular roles were starting to pop up everywhere and, and become you know, involved in our discussions. Uh, when we talk about platform, that's usually going straight to the IT people inside an organisation. And that really sort of dilutes the conversation around what, what we can achieve. So the fact that we started to see these workplace experience, workplace curators, um, once we sort of started seeing those titles, it, it was really like, well, that makes sense to us. And I'm hoping that they do what we think that they do. Um, I reached out to you, Samantha, because I'd like to learn, I'd like to talk more about um, user experience or employee experience, what we hear as UX or EX, and not just about the user interface. Um, and therefore, how that should be led by a team that's not necessarily IT. So it should be led by um, professionals in experience rather than professionals in the actual technology. Uh, our managing director wrote a recent article on this and it's available on our LinkedIn and our blog. And what we understand is that it takes a special skill set to look at the holistic employee experience and tech is only one part of bringing that to life. So can you give us an insight into your career to date and what skills and roles have led you here? Great, well, Lando, <laughs> thank you so much. I've been really looking forward to this and my mind has been blown away as I was thinking about some of the questions you would you put forward. But thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I'm really excited to share part of what I've learned, but I suppose where I want to start is two stories from a long, long time mm -hmm. ago yep. that give you a sense of what grounded me in why experience is important. And the first one is, and I'll ask you a question, do you know that you used to be able to get $10 notes out of an ATM? I don't remember a time when that ever happened. <laughs> when they first implemented uh, ATMs, there were two reasons for that. One was they wanted to reduce transaction costs. Yeah. So that was the return on investment from a banking perspective. Two, it was to offer greater customer service. Mm -hmm. But what came about, they patterned the usage of the ATMs around current behaviours of customers, mm -hmm. not what customers might do as an outcome of transforming the way we do banking. Mm -hmm. What actually happened, customers started working differently than they would with previous banking arrangements where they'd go into the branch, they'd queue up and they'd take out maybe two weeks worth of money. Right. What actually happened is people started using the ATMs like it was their wallet. So the return on investment from a banking perspective where we were reducing transaction costs because they were electronic and they weren't in a branch actually was foiled by customers and how they wanted to experience the world. So what actually happened? Transactions went up. Mm -hmm. The cost of servicing the ATMs because you have to put the cash in there went up. So their whole return on investment went one way, the way they didn't expect it to go. So my really big lesson there was we have to start with people first and how they want to experience a service because that is really going to inform what the technology solution would be. 
not just one where we think, oh, spot solution, automate, people can get money out of the machine themselves. You have to think about why they want it, what they want to experience. Yeah, it's a, it's classic error, right? It's yeah. Classic. We think we've got a tech problem, let's solve it. Yeah, like, but it we, wasn't. we think we've got a small problem, let's solve it with some tech. But we, you know, we haven't thought about the broader implications of user behaviour and stuff like but that. But as humans, we went, oh, we can now do this differently. So if we had have started with how they wanted to be able to access their money, we would have learned something very, very different. Mm-hmm. The second scenario was a sales and service platform prototype that we did for one of the big banks. And rather than you coming in and applying for a home loan or a credit card or a personal loan, we put in place a platform that looked at your financial position and offered you a full suite of products. Okay. One-stop shopping, almost. You could pick and mix what your solution was depending upon your circumstances all based on credit scoring and all based on your financial position information that you'd supplied. But when we asked employees to offer what the technology was telling them to offer, they balked at it. They balked at it because there were personal and individual sensitivities about the value that was being offered to a client. So what actually happened, Loans officer Sam actually said, rather than me offering you three products with this loan amount value, they actually sensitised it to what they thought was acceptable. And what we found is they were underselling what was actually quite legitimate solution for a customer because their own personal sensitivities around, I didn't feel comfortable telling the client that they could have a $1 million home loan a $10,000 credit card and then a $50,000 personal loan. It just felt like too much money to offer a client. So once again, we were hit with how people behave, the service they want to provide and the experience they want to provide their clients actually stopped the ability to service clients in a different way. So there were two components there around how people behave and how they want to experience the world, what they contribute to the world and what others get back from their contribution that really made the biggest coin drop for me that whenever we start with a problem, we need to start from a people perspective. Yeah. Yes, it's really good. So our initial discussion when we first met, um, you know, I was a little bit nervous about uh, making too many assumptions on what a workplace experience curator was doing because I'd been to workplace technology conferences and the experienced designers would literally get up on stage and do these crazy performances as presentations. Um, If anyone's listening that was at WorkTech Sydney last year and Nellie Ben's presentation was mind-blowing it was 250 slides done really really fast and she sort of jumped around all over the place and I thought oh well this is really far removed from the practical aspects of what experience design is related to the person so when we initially met it sort of ticked a few boxes in my head like Mm. oh you actually do what I was expecting and where I see the gap is in a lot of workplaces at the moment. And I think that's a really interesting point because if I look to my experience, um, always working in transformational change, whether it be branch process redesign programs or technology transformation programs or recently in workplace 
transformation, we really have to start from the needs of the people, always. And I was thinking back to your question around if we just start from a user interface perspective, that's a really important part mm -hmm. and it's a really important part that the technology teams adopt a practice mm -hmm. and apply that practice in that, but it's only really one component. When you think about how people want to experience the world, it's more than just what they physically see and experience in a piece of technology. Yeah. It's what they want to hear. Yep. It's what they want to see. What they want to smell. What they want to smell. Really nice coffee. What they want to touch. Um, it, it's so much more than just how I interact with something. And I think that's really key to everything that I've been doing in the workplace transformations. When you think about all of those elements, you're actually talking around who are the best people to have in the room to help you with that. Yes, it is technology. Two, it is the architects and the designers. Three, from a spatial perspective, brand. Brand tells the story of how people want to perceive a company. Mm -hmm. or uh, the energy they portray about a company, the story they portray about a company, what we hear about a company, people in culture. The employee experience, in my mind, galvanises the client experience. If you don't have that happy, smiley employee on the phone to a client, the client is going to pick up on that as part of their experience of an organisation. Mm -hmm. So it led me to thinking about how you then create great experiences. UI is really important, but it's one piece of the puzzle. Yep. Human-centred design, techniques and practices and a mindset, if we can call it a mindset, that's actually helping us shape our thinking around what that experience will be. And their tools and techniques actually really help facilitate the conversation to understand what people's needs are, what their desires are, what their wants are, or what the essential things are to help them have an experience that they can see, feel, touch, hear, smell, yeah. taste, yeah. even. So many examples of that. So we've done all of our workplace transformation work and design of workplace. It's always been in the context of that very broad group but honing in on a lens of thinking about what is the experience we want people to have. And we've used a, um, a tool that's recently come to my knowledge, which is experience master planning. Yeah, so this was um, part of my next question. So what process do you go through? What are the deliverables at the end? What sort of tools are you using? Is there a lot of observing and data gathering at the start. So what what does the process look like if someone's bringing you in as a experienced curator? I think there's the starting point of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. The Always example the of the last um, program I worked on, it was a workplace transformation where we wanted to redesign or reimagine the workplace. Mm -hmm. And if we thought about workplace being a success factor or a talent attractor or something that really gave clients, partners, employees, visitors 
a real view to who that company actually was yep. at that time. We need to think really broadly and really deeply about what the organisation stood for in terms of a noble purpose, what the employees wanted, what customers wanted, what the market was saying about the organisation. So we started off very much with what we called an aspirational brief, which looked, in you knowing workplace in particular, you're not talking about something that's going to be redone in two years. We're looking at something that needs to have longevity, mm-hmm. 15, 20 years yep. to maximise the value out of that. So we started looking at organisationally, strategically where we thought the organisation was going, what the organisation would look like into the future, not just in the now. We did an aspirational brief which talked to the strategy leaders in the organisation. We talked to steering committee about what they thought the opportunity was and what the possibilities were of what we wanted to create Mm -hmm. for the organisation. Do you get good ideas out of possibility or do you get... You know, if you ask a really open-ended question like that, and I do, what are you trying to achieve? I get silence a lot of the time, like crickets, because I don't know if people have been used to working in such a box for so long that when they're asked for what they want, they can't really articulate well, those big picture ideas. It's a really good question because it's very true. Yeah, it's like you have to kind of throw a couple of ideas their way then they kind of leverage off that and and then they go, oh, oh, and what about this? And come up with it. So we did a couple of things um, to resolve that depending upon who we were talking to in the Mm organisation. In the first instance, when we're talking to the steering committee or to the business strategists in the organisation, it was about getting outside in thinking. Yeah. So if we wanted to reimagine the workplace, what was going on in our industry, what was going on in the rest of the world, and at the moment there's so many new emerging businesses. What are they doing differently to attract talent or customers or clients or what's different about their product offering? So it was about putting on the table some different thinking. Yeah. So if you're a large traditional organisation, you're definitely in... in competition with these smaller players that are coming in, these startups, these scale-ups. They're more mobile, they're more agile, they're more, they're less, they're more fearless. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think. So yeah. that, what are we, what can we learn from them? How does that shape thinking And people the want to work for them too. And yeah. Part of the reason we wanted to be famous or the company wanted to be famous for workplace was to attract talent commonplace now, mm-hmm. that that's what makes people choose between companies. So I think the interesting thing there was we had to give people some different ideas, different thinking. We did some study tours. Um, we looked at industries that already had strong experience thinking. Hospitality is a great one. Okay. Even in the education system, if you think about going to, into a schoolroom now... They're doing things so differently. I was just in the classroom. So education's really interesting. What they're having to do in universities to attract students from elsewhere to invest in having an education here. It's a competitive market. They had to do things differently. What's their point of differentiation? And workplace is a point of differentiation for a lot of companies. Can you give us 
the, an example of one of the best experiences that you had? That's oh. not in the list of questions, but it's probably putting you on the Do you know, I, I can't help but think, way back when I first started my career in um, marketing, we always talked about your first interaction with a company is the one that's going to make a mark on you. And we were in Salesforce mm-hmm. in San Francisco in 2017. Yep. And, I mean, it's a remarkable workplace. They've invested a lot in creating uh, um, workplaces that attract talent. But what was remarkable about that place, every Monday or once a month on a Monday, that's when all the new starters start. Yeah. They all arrive. There's a DJ. There's people who greet them. There's music going on. Can you imagine day one turning up into a workplace to be welcomed in that way? I can because I worked at Salesforce. Yeah, well, great (laughs) example. But it was the one that said if you're going to make an impression on people and get them to talk about the organisation, awesome start. As as an onboarding employee of Salesforce, one of those great experiences was... um, I came in, I had my, I got to choose prior to coming in the hardware that I wanted and I'm an Apple person so I said iPhone and MacBook Pro. That was all ready to go for me. Um, I had a buddy who had, you know, yeah. teamed up with me um, to navigate the organisation to help me like even with confidence things, like you get into a lift and there's other people there with their Salesforce badges, even just to there's the culture of like, oh, you must be new. Hi, I'm, you know, and yeah. they talk back and forth. So the onboarding process of Salesforce is, is yeah, an excellent experience, yeah. Even what they offer um, in terms of future talent, they have a program where you can learn about their products so if you're interested yeah. in becoming a developer, you can go and do that and then you've got a prime pathway into making your inroads into, into Salesforce. So I think that's an exceptional way of saying what they were trying to do was attract talent. Mm-hmm. They'd really thought about how do they create an experience that's optimal to your first day yep. starting. Yep. That really anchors you in who the organisation is. It almost sets an expectation of how you work in the organisation, but also make sure you're equipped to do your best work. Yep. So they've really thought quite collectively and holistically around what it is important when somebody joins the organisation or even how to get somebody to want to join the organisation. Yep. So they had a big motivation and a big goal in terms of why they were doing what they were doing and they tailored their experience in service of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a really good answer. I Um, think that's a really interesting piece. But if I think coming back to when you look at not just UI and not just technology leading it, that broad sense of who are the people that frame experience, people and culture, brand, IT, workplace, uh, it can be even a recruiter is representing your company when they're looking for talent for you. Yep. So somehow yep. you've got to weave this story around comms can be involved in this process. But I think it's some of the mindset around adopting practices such as human-centred design, even agile 
methodologies or lean actually let you really focus on creating experiences holistically. Yeah. Yeah. And you do have to get some buy-in to those processes as well. Yeah. Um, I wanted to come back to the tools that you mentioned um, because I think I cut you off. But what was the tool that you mentioned for using for doing a lot of that um, that work? It was like a management tool that you said you were using. An experience master plan? That. Okay, that's a process. Oh, that's a process. It's a process. Okay. See, I don't know these things. No. Yeah, okay. Uh, I assumed that that was a software And program. it answers your question around how do you help people mm-hmm. talk about what they want. Uh, yeah. And I think the interesting thing there is if you just ask people their desires, their needs, but you don't give them a framework for how to think about that, mm-hmm. then they'll come left, right and centre and you won't be able to then consolidate it into anything that will actually help you. So through our journey mapping, the journey mapping programs, and I think we did, I can't remember how, maybe 30 sessions with 300 people, we used a, a technique from a company called Free State, mm-hmm. um, which is an experience narrative. And we basically used that as a pro forma to get people to think about how they wanted to experience the workplace. Is that typical of how long it would take to get that type of information or is it that you can come into a business and say, look, if we get the chance to do five or six sessions, we'll understand? Like, is it probably how long? We chose that size because of who the organisation was. Yeah. Um, and we, it wasn't just about employees. Mm-hmm. It was about our business partners. It was about clients. It was about customers. Yeah, right. So they were very big spread. They were um, very big spread. And we wanted that depth just to be able to get a sense of the whole organisation because we were wanting to reimagine the workplace. Yeah. So that's – but I'm sure you could do a much smaller subset. Yeah. Or groups. But I think it all depends on your frame, what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And we were trying to reimagine the workplace and the workplace is in service of so many different types of people. Yeah, because it was a bank, right? So you have the corporate services, you've got your private um, Uh, investors, then you've got your consumer banks, um, your branches, then even the ATM experience. There's a lot of things that – there's a lot of touch points. And I think that was something that I really wanted to – reflect on when we talk about workplace everybody thinks the physical workplace Mm -hmm. but a workplace to everybody now is how I do my work yep and so part of my workplace is my laptop at home Mm -hmm. or my mobile phone because I'm working on the go or I could be working at a client site so the workplace is not just the physical representation of where people come in to work together it's a really important part of building community and social connection, but it's enabling people to do work wherever they are. Yep. So the whole context that we talked about, and this is when technology becomes really important, is the digital and the physical Yep. when thinking about workplace. So that's why we made sure we pulled together in all of those groups that could actually influence both the physical workplace, the digital workplace. Mm. I was with Dimension Data today and they were doing a presentation to the University of Sydney, who is a client of both of ours. Um, And it was really cool to understand, like, so what part of their process of talking to clients is about what they did. So Dimension Data, they use the ACA+, 
platform mm-hmm. um, as their, you know, that that was sort of the, the non-negotiable, the crucial bit that connects all of their things. So, um, but they had two principles and they were mobility first and cloud first. And then their lead gave them a, um, an, a, a gave them direction on you have no budget and you have you have no like there's 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 no sort of framework that you have to think about like what is it that you're trying to create if you had no budget and you have no timeline and um you know he threw out ideas like you know do you want a virtual receptionist you know a hologram receptionist do you want facial recognition and all of that sort of stuff so they came up with this huge plan and then they were able to whittle that down to actually make it a really practical thing that they could put in over time. Um, but doing that big picture thinking, thinking is is what started them off. And I think that very broad journey mapping across a very broad group of people mm-hmm. lifted our thinking. Yeah. Lifted the thinking into the broader sense of what how do we want people to experience the organisation. Yeah. It wasn't about solving for what the wheel of the car is or the meeting room booking system might be like. It was actually saying when people interact with the organisation, what do we want them to see? What do we want them to feel? What do we want them to hear? Mm-hmm. What do we want them to touch? I mean, the whole conversation around that sense of life in the workplace, greenery, biophilia, yep. uh, you know, animals came up big time. Um, for the for people that that would just make them feel more like people. Well, Salesforce actually brought in a um, we had like a day where there was like farm animals in the park. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was when I think people could bring their kids as well. It might have been school holidays, but yeah, yeah. the petting zoo. Yeah, or, yeah, it was like a petting zoo. Uh, bringing your family, you're bringing your children in. Well, I've seen an excellent example idea. of that actually because the building that's in um, George Street. The EY building mm. that Mervac sit within, but I think I was in EY. I think it's on the EY floor. Um, they have Lego tables. Yeah, yeah. So what they identified as part of their journey mapping is that they have a whole bunch of parents who have every single holidays anxiety what <laughs> about to do? how they manage that time yeah. and tag teaming in and out and extra money and extra, you know, for for nannies or for. Um, school holiday activities and you know if you're looking at just one individual that's a really logistical problem but if you're looking collectively over an organization and identifying that there's 300 people that this happens to every 12 weeks (laughs) then that's that's a big problem for the organization Mm. and you know it's a distractor from work and stuff so um one of their journey maps around who comes to the building how do we use it how do we use this client space um was one of their solutions was Lego tables because then, you know, mum and dad can still come in. They can, you know, drop the kids. They're supervised at the Lego table. They can get into that meeting or they can go and work from a desk and there's sort of that kind of hybrid of being able to look after kids as well as work at the same time but but be around colleagues a and better, stuff. A better balanced life. Well, I think it really... Or I'd like to talk to them about human. how that... Yeah, because then you get to see that side of people that, like... Well, that's you around your family. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. There are, there's more of people yeah. that you start to see. I think about talking a lot of common theme at the moment is talking about how you bring your whole self oh, yeah. into the workplace. And I think that's a really great example of there's more than work, Sam, mm-hmm. or work, land, or 
what else is there in you that yeah. you can leverage around, and it might not even be in the workplace, it might be giving back to community, that is still in service of who you work for. Yep. Or the organisation or how you want the organisation to be perceived. So I think the really big piece for experience to me, it's not just what you interact with, it's who you interact with, Mm -hmm. how you talk about the organisation, what the organisation has to say about itself, the storytelling that comes with an organisation, how you're in support of the broader community, Mm -hmm. how you're in support of your community of employees or partners, because we're all human and we're all in service of helping each other. Yep. So I think the um, I think the nice thing around that big picture thinking, the experience master plan and the experience vision that we came up with, and the master plan that says how we would deliver on how we deliver on that, mm-hmm. it actually gives you a framework. You don't have to do everything all at once. Yeah, it just gives you a plan. It gives you a plan mm-hmm. to sense check: Are we heading in the right direction of what our aspiration is from an experience? Mm-hmm. For people, whether they're a client, a customer, an employee, a business partner, a community member from one of the um, services or charities that are supported. So it acts as this guiding light or that northern star. Mm -hmm. So every choice you make, is it in service of creating that grander experience that we're hoping to achieve from an organisational perspective? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, can I ask you a little bit of a tougher question? Sure. So banking is a sector that you've worked in a lot. Um, and, you know, in Australia they've been in the news a lot over the past 12 months, I mm-hmm. suppose, with the Royal Commission. I'm wondering in that climate and under that scrutiny, like how you can still inspire people to come to work at banks and how do you still create those you know, customers are looking at these, uh, the outcomes of, you know, and the, the sound bites on the news and, and going, oh, what the am perception. I doing? Exactly. Mm. What is the, the perception of these companies and what they've done in the past? How do you inspire, you know, people, top talent to want to come and work? Like you've got, you've got generation, um, particularly millennials um, and then your Gen Zs coming through as well who are very much centred around giving back to the to, to the community and they still want to do that through work. Salesforce is a really good example of actually enabling that um, give back kind of scenario. But how do, we, how do we inspire people to come and work for those banks in that current climate? It's a really interesting... I can't remember what the year was, but at a point in time very, very soon, we're going to have five generations mm. in the workplace. So it's not far off, so I think... Yeah, it's 22. Yeah. It could be now yeah. because I think 22 is Gen Z, so yeah. that, that's a university graduate. Yeah. Yep. So it's not very far away. Yeah. So we have to be thinking about, and I think this is why it's important, what's, what are individuals looking for? And I think that's then going to help me answer that question around how organisations who have been through situations like the Royal commission and the scrutiny and the perception in the marketplace whether it's from a talent perspective or a customer perspective I think there are two hats that people wear Mm -hmm. there are the people who work for an organization and they 
really value the noble purpose that that organisation has. So they trust, they're loyal to the organisation. When something like this happens, they go even harder into making the discretionary effort to actually fix things yeah. or change the perception. Mm-hmm. So communication around what the problems are, the scale of the problems, where the problems are and how that's being remediated mm-hmm. or going being worked on to be addressed, plus also supporting them from an emotional perspective mm-hmm. because there's a lot of hearing oh, something like that, that in the cool. news and you worked yeah. for this particular individual who you probably admired. You're hearing oh, a different yeah. story about them. Yep. So supporting them from an emotional perspective is really important. But they are true believers in the organisation and with that comes this passion to fix things. On the other side, you've got the people who see every problem as an opportunity. Hmm. This might be my once-in-a-lifetime chance to really make a significant difference to either the customer experience, the employee experience, or to reshape an organisation. Because a lot of people in the Royal Commission or a lot of those organisations, they're really having to think about their business model. Yep. So there's a lot of people then who go, I want to be part of reshaping an organisation. It's a really unique opportunity. It doesn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. So for them, it's about painting a picture of what the future might look like and really helping and empowering them to shape that. So you've got these two groups of people... And then you'll have the other group of people who there's a misalignment with their values, mm-hmm. so they will choose to go elsewhere. But I think that's a benefit to the organisation and to that individual as well because you don't want to be working somewhere where it's not aligned with your values yep. and what you want to do. So I think there's always this opportunity around the loyalists, if I can call them that, and then the people who really see an opportunity in every problem that's presented and then how you give them the empowerment to actually start shaping the organisation to be something different in response to what needs to be addressed. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really good answer, actually. And we've probably all been there at a point in time where we've heard disappointing news about a friend, a family member or a company that we've worked for, but we really believe in what their purpose is and who they are and trust that something different can come about. And then there's the people who go, I really want to fix that. I'm going to find a way to make this a contribution and an achievement of mine and really address what that problem is. That's what you do very well. You just brought that back to the person and gave me thinking around, like... If there's a family member or, or, or if there's a friend that, like, there might have been some, you know, some shit around them. And, yes, my instinct is to help because I'd probably be the loyalist or yeah. be the problem solver. Yeah. Rarely would I just walk away. So if someone is tied to their workplace in that same way, I can understand, yes, yeah, see, that's what you do. You, do. you always bring it back to the person. I think it's about the yeah. why. <laughs> yeah, it's about the why. Yeah. Yes, that's not just... Um, well, that, that's, that brings me into my next question. So um, I know you mentioned one of the issues you encountered when starting this role was a criticism that this was all the fluffy stuff. Mm. <laughs> How do you respond to that? I think that's generated from 
if I look at it from a corpora- corporation's perspective, it's generated from the fact that it's so hard to nail a tangible benefit in response to an initiative like an experience master plan. Yeah, especially in an emerging market. Like, we're only just seeing this well, over it's the past quite, couple of years. It's quite pioneering yes. in so many ways. Yeah. And not only that, I, I don't think there's... Well, we're yet to come across what is a really good measure of experience. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about the complicated nature of humans, what they see, hear, feel, touch, smell, taste, it's so varied. Yes. How do you measure the fact that you've actually created a better experience? Well, we can't answer that yet. We're working on a couple of projects um, where they've talked to us about employee happiness. Yeah. And that seems really cool around, okay, like what would be the cool things that we could um, have on the platform that would indicate employee happiness? So, like what sort of algorithm essentially would get to the point of, you know, giving it a good score for happiness? And then I read some research recently that they've... They found there's pretty good research that happiness is actually genetic. So no matter what happens to you, there's like a steady state of happiness that you will always return to. And I have I'm only just like two weeks back from Fiji, and when you're there and you experience that, you know they're one of the happiest countries in the world. And then you think, oh, but it's it's genetic. It's not. It's you know then it then it blows your mind around. Okay, how do we how do, back to the drawing board? How do we have a measurement for experience? What is it that we we can actually tangibly, yeah, measure this performance? And by? if it comes down to feelings or motivations, because when you talk about happiness, that's a feeling mm. and an emotion. There's so many emotions, and sometimes an emotion, like an angry emotion, can be of service or can be of disservice. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I'm angry, I might want to nail that problem that an organisation's happening because I want to fix it. Yeah. So that anger, that anger sponsors a positive step in the right direction. But you can be angry where you just want to throttle somebody, which is not necessarily going to be a good outcome. Yeah. So there's this whole sense around feelings, emotions that are really the outcome you're trying to trigger when you give somebody an experience, how do we measure that? And I think if you're really interested in happiness, there's a professor, his name is Martin Seligman, Mm -hmm. and he talks about learned optimism and learned helplessness. Hmm. And I think you should read up about him because it's fascinating. I went to a presentation on Tuesday night that he did and uh, simple things somebody who's naturally optimistic or happy mm-hmm. their wounds heal quicker yeah than somebody who is pessimistic or unhappy mm-hmm. there's a direct correlation with with your biochemistry with your biochemistry there's a mm-hmm. direct correlation with coronary heart disease mm-hmm. They even found that there's a direct correlation with the words that people post on Twitter and Facebook. So that's how they've started to measure happiness. 
Wow, there's some metadata. Yeah, I will look that up for sure. That's so I really think that'll be interesting for you. So the so challenge has been around you can't give us anything tangible in terms of what the benefit is yeah. in yeah, we instantly go to the technology because you can see significant tangible benefit in automating something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll definitely look at spatially if we can do uh, a workplace augmentation of space that lets us get better value out of the investment we're spending in real estate, mm-hmm. then there's tangible benefit. Yeah. But when it comes to That's the cultural and experience piece... I think there's a lot of opportunity to take what might be fluffy uh, and turn it into something very, very real and measurable and quantifiable. How you get to the dollar value of that might be interesting, um, the tangible side, but at least being able to measure the shift mm-hmm. I think would be the starting point. And, and I think we're getting to a point now that, you, you know, you've got universities studying this stuff mm. and you've got... Um, you know, that they're coming out with better and better studies as well as going through transformations themselves into better places to work. So the University of Sydney is a really good example of that. They're they're doing a world-first building where they're going to have allied health professionals in one building working together from the time that they're undergrads. So I'm exercise physiologist working with doctors, nurses, physios, like you know, we, we have to do that out in the real world, but we don't learn any of those skills in in university. And there's this really weird culture cultural thing when you get out and have to work in practice with these people. So the University of Sydney is really trying to create a place where that can all happen wow. together. So the transformation that they're going through, they're experiencing it simultaneously. They've got a bunch of stuff, you know, studies in this you know what we what you're getting criticised for is fluffy stuff. Yeah. So I think we'll, we'll there's see value there. a shift soon. Definitely. Um, last question for but you. But I'm a bit like those. Every problem there's an opportunity. Yeah. So if we can't measure it, how do we measure it? We've got to solve that problem. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think so. Um, you mentioned when we first met that you were keen to educate people on what you do. And I agree that having someone like you involved in projects even before we're engaged would be really helpful because we, we come in and because um, we're a platform, the solution could be, you know, huge. But practically, that's not where businesses want to start. And so instead of going really big, they, ch- they go right narrow and say, oh, we just want a room booking solution. And so I think, you know, your skills... Um, to, to me would be extremely helpful to have a you know a, a really good plan a really good idea of what's long term short term medium term and and where we would come in what information would you like to impart on the audience so that they might consider engaging someone like yourself who's passionate about the curation of these experiences i i, th- I think you asked me a question about where we started mm-hmm. from initially Yep. And I think it's that starting point or what you're trying to achieve that if you can flesh that out, then you know the tools, techniques and your ambition mm-hmm. that you want to achieve. Now, if we really do experience master planning well, then you might have a really lofty goal yep. that feels a lot bigger than what you can chew 
or make a decision around. But what I found um, is how you then break that master plan down into its components so that you can bite off small pieces mm-hmm. or you can choose one stream and really put your attention to that. Then you're going to get a solution that's more in service of the experience that you want to create, mm-hmm. not solving one problem. And I keep liking the liking. I, I read John's blog. Oh yeah. What I kept hearing, it's like there's these spot solutions to everything, mm-hmm. but they never make sense, and they're never in service of what you're truly trying to achieve. Yeah, because uh, most companies don't have that big lofty goal. You know, if that was presented to us, and it has been mm. in a recent project that I'm working on with a real estate company, they came to me with even lo-fi prototypes. They had their big picture goals there. They they were really well thought out about what they wanted to do. And if we had um, every client go through a similar type of exercise and come with, hey, it, it, even put it out to market, go to all the vendors and say, here's our lofty goal. What 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 can you sort of help us with what products or services can you help us to get here eventually I think that would be a much more interesting conversation rather than can you help us with this spot and I I think the interesting thing is once you start talking about experience in the workplace it is a collective group of people Mm -hmm. Uh, I mentioned people in culture, brand I mentioned technology workplace, there's probably a, a plethora of others that all somehow or another need to collaborate and be part of the co-creation process of that vision. Um, And then how we then define that experience master plan and what each of them own as a framework for what's being the aim to achieve that you can then break down into the component parts knowing that that solution for visitor management is actually going to contribute overall. You solve a small problem, and I still think you need to start with small problems and build upon them, because Mm -hmm. to do an experience master plan for an organisation's workplace, it's actually very broad and very big. Yeah. And it might be a five-year journey. I think when we... What we realise, it's probably even more a business strategy Mm -hmm. than a workplace design strategy. But I think if you can bring everybody together and have that co-created shared ownership but with individual ownership of the different streams um, from the data-driven requirements that you have to the activation programs to the servicing programs you actually need to the technology that will support you across all of that, then you can find a way of breaking it down into small deliverable pieces Mm -hmm. that you can actually learn from. Because the one thing I've really, really learned is once you do something, you'll learn so much more from it. And it might reshape or jiggle something else somewhere. But I think being able to make small steps and progress are going to contribute a lot more than trying to solve for the perfect solution. Mm -hmm. But you need that lofty idea or that vision or that north star Mm -hmm. as your guiding light and then what I found that I've been able to do really well is how do you break that down into the components identify the owners so that you can then look at how do we create the change as much as help people adopt and adapt to the change which is that change curation piece Okay. Um, yeah, we. I interviewed uh, Liam Timms from Lendlease. Uh, he's the 
fund manager for part of the Barangaroo development. And he is very much the visionary, but the single point really to provide that, that vision um, and then bring people along the way. But your role would be more like I am the person who's going to curate the people to create the experience. Help shape yep. what so that you bring vision together that and group. the experience programs are yep. collectively using people to be able to do that. Yep. Because it's through their contribution that we can actually start to identify what the design is and the concept designs. Just starting from the journey mapping and shaping that in a way that we then know what are each of the components are that we need to bring together and then identifying across the business who has responsibility and ownership for that yep. and then how we would plug that together in a form of a roadmap yep. to actually be able to deliver on that. Knowing that technology's got their enterprise program, they've got their premises program, you've got business applications that you need to cater for, you've got the base building requirement that you need to interact with. So we know they all need to come together. Mm-hmm. They won't all come together at once. Yep. You identify what the basic things are that you want to start working on and that can be some simple quick wins or some things that really make a lot of sense because they're going to tackle big problems quickly, which is probably why you get, we want a visitor management system or a room booking system because people can see the value or the loss of value in wasted real estate. Yeah. I just wish that they would come to us with more of the, here's our end goal, mm. but we need to do this first. Yes. I, w- I would love to have that that connection to, mm. oh, okay, now I see where you want to go. That, this is in service of that, yeah. which is in service of this. Yeah. And I think it's a really good point because I think once you've got the why, that's what's missing, I think, all the time when you just get, we want a room booking system. Yeah. Why? And there's such a disconnect what are you between. To yeah, and there's such a disconnect between. Um, so if a vendor goes in and says, "What are you trying to achieve?" and if they haven't had that conversation previously, they don't know. No. So the vendor is then leading. Well, this is what you're trying to achieve because this is what I have as a product. And it's a and bit it's unfair not, because yeah. then the client goes, "We're well, just selling me your product." <laughs> That's right. But you didn't tell me you wanted yeah. something else. So yeah. you know the vendors are in the dark a bit and. Um, yeah, if we if we had that kind of, here's our big big picture stuff, but this is the problem that we want for now, how do we yes, engage? Yes, I think if we have the vision, how that then formulates into a roadmap. Yep. And then what are the bespoke solutions we might need or the platform solution we might need or here are the specific pieces that we want to work on year one, year two, year three, year four, or month one, Q1, whatever that program is. But once you have that big picture, and I think that's what I found through my experience and just through some natural ways of thinking, it's easy for me to put the big picture together, Mm -hmm. but then it's easy for me to help people translate into what's important for them to be focusing on to the roadmap piece or break it down into that actionable pieces that you could do short-term and longer-term. Perfect answer. Well, that was my last question, so thank you so much for your time. my pleasure. I really appreciate you coming in. Um, We are off to the Women in Finance Awards tonight, so we get to let our hair down a little bit. 
Um, but yes, if you'd like to get in touch with Sam, then um, get in touch with me and I can pass you her details. Thanks for your time. Fantastic. Thank you.